Bite-Sized Birthday Biography Podcast. I'm your host, Hannah Mira. This is a daily podcast which shines a spotlight on a person born on this day at some point in history somewhere in the world who made a positive lasting impact. Today, September 11th, we're going to celebrate the birth and life of Dr. Euphemia Haynes, the first African-American woman to complete a PhD in mathematics. She was born on this day in 1890 in Washington, D.C., So Euphemia came from a family where every generation pushed their children to do better than they had done. Her grandparents and great-grandparents on both sides had been free inhabitants of the East Coast, and their livelihoods had centered mostly around domestic work like housekeeping or taking in washing for the women and manual labor for the men. Both her paternal grandmother and grandfather had not been able to read or write. Her father, William Lofton, had graduated from Howard University and become not only a very successful dentist, but he also held a prestigious position on the board of directors of the Washington, D.C. Capital Savings Bank. Her mother, Lavinia Lofton, was a kindergarten teacher during the week, and she devoted her weekend to church activities. Euphemia was the firstborn, and thanks to her parents' hard work, her childhood was financially very comfortable. Her father was a member of the Washington, D.C. Black 400, This was an elite social circle of African-Americans who were considered aristocrats of color based on their financial status, the lightness of their skin, and the amount of generations that their family had been removed from slavery. Due to her family's involvement in such rarefied air, Euphemia was allowed educational opportunities that many other African-Americans at that time were not. However, such social niceties and privilege did not compensate for her rocky home life. Her brother Joseph was born in 1893 when Euphemia was three, and the family began to collapse shortly after that. Her parents ended up separating in 1895 when Euphemia was only five years old. Letters recovered from that time period show William demanding to see his children and accusing Lavinia of keeping them from him. He points out in these letters that he had always been a good provider and that he had a comfortable home waiting for them all should they return. The divorce went through in 1900 with Lavinia getting full custody of the two children and William receiving weekly visitation rights. William and Euphemia's relationship would remain strained for the rest of their lives as personal letters have shown, but he did include both of his children in his will. Following the divorce, Euphemia and her mother and brother lived with five other relatives in a single family home in Washington, D.C. The family struggled financially, but remained incredibly supportive and loving throughout this very difficult time. Decades later, when Euphemia was being interviewed, she would credit her mother's strength and kindness during this time, saying, My mother was so successful as a mother because she believed in me. Euphemia graduated valedictorian from M Street High School in 1907, and she followed this up with a degree in education from Columbia in 1909 and a degree in math and psychology from Smith in 1914. In 1917, she married Harold Haynes, a man that she had known since she was a teenager. Apparently, Mom wasn't a huge fan of the match. Uh, There's letters between Euphemia and Harold at this time in which he reassures Euphemia that even though her mother wanted to separate them, they would stick it out no matter what. I don't know why uh, Euphemia's mom didn't really like Harold. On paper, he seems like a great guy. He was very intelligent. He was very successful. He had multiple degrees in electrical engineering and education. He had a PhD in education from New York University. He ended up becoming the superintendent of all black schools in D.C. until all the schools there were desegregated in 1951, and he was made deputy superintendent. 
While Euphemia was in school, she was a very eager and bright student, and she genuinely just liked the process of learning. She ended up at the University of Chicago during her graduate work. Uh, This was an amazingly progressive college at the time, and it admitted both women and students of color into advanced programs. Between 1870 and 1940, the university awarded 45 African-American doctorate degrees. That's the highest number of any college in the country at that time. Euphemia's 1930s master's thesis was on the historical development of tests in elementary and secondary mathematics. In it, she argues that tests should be used to gauge progress as opposed to being used as tools to classify students into tracks. This research helped back her up later in life when she advocated uh, for the D.C. public school system in Hobson versus Hansen. She was very against their use of tracking, which was pushing African-American students into worse schools and therefore worse careers. We're going to talk about that um, in a little more detail a bit later. So in 1943, Euphemia completes her Ph.D. from the Catholic University of America. Her dissertation was entitled... The Determination of Sets of Independent Conditions Characterizing Certain Special Cases of Symmetric Correspondences. And if you expect me to explain that in any simpler terms, you're out of luck. Euphemia had the relationship with math that a lot of math lovers just seem to have. She saw the beauty in math. She had a deep respect for the practice and the applications of it. As she so eloquently put it, mathematics is no more the art of reckoning than architecture is the art of making bricks. So Euphemia spends 47 years of her life teaching in the D.C. public schools. In 1966, she becomes the first woman to chair the D.C. Board of Education. During her year in that position, she was a very vocal critic of the tracking system, which shuttled black kids into lower functioning and lower service schools, which in turn gave them less than stellar education, leading to less college acceptances and more African-Americans turning to menial work to survive. And her vocal opposition would help fuel the fire that led to the court case of Hobson versus Hansen. So, backstory. Hobson versus Hansen was the result of a slow buildup of a number of chronic social issues and discriminatory practices. After World War II, there was a lot of Caucasian families migrating to the suburbs, partly due to the lure of upgrading from cramped apartments in the city to more spacious suburban housing, but it was mostly due to several court cases in the 40s and 50s that had secured the desegregation of schools and neighborhoods, and this was sending white people into a panic. Now that black people could legally reside in what were formerly all-white neighborhoods, Caucasian families began to flee in droves, fearing, quote, declining real estate values, deteriorating schools, and a loss of status. Having black neighbors, they felt, inherently made a neighborhood less desirable. That's a quote from Chocolate City, Race and Democracy in the Nation's Capital. This phenomenon is called white flight. So schools that had once been 100% white were now almost 80% black. So between 1950 and 1960, the white population in D.C. dropped from 65 to 45%, and the African-American population rose from 35 to 45%. And this sort of shifting and regrouping of black and white communities essentially resegregated all the public schools. And by 1964, 126 D.C. public schools were 90 to 100% black, and only 13 public schools were 90 to 100% white. So as the suburbs continued to fill with these migrating white families, employers started to move their businesses out to the suburbs to better accommodate employees who were turned off by the now longer commutes. The federal government, seeing this rapid shift in population demographics, relocated a lot of their agencies and services, 
including schools and the finances for those districts to the suburbs. So funds were shifted from the predominantly black schools to the predominantly white schools, which attracted better teachers. There was funding for better supplies and textbooks and just a superior level of education overall. In 1965, an African-American father named Julius Hobson filed a case against the D.C. superintendent, Dr. Carl Hansen. Dr. Carl Hansen was a big proponent of the track system, and the track system divided all kids into either honors, general, basic, or special based on their IQ scores. Hobson filed the suit after years of community activism just got him nowhere. He had first become inspired to champion this cause after having to drive his five-year-old son to a poorly performing kindergarten miles away even though there was a much better one a block away from his house. After a protracted two-year-long legal battle, the court ruled in favor of Hobson in 1967, agreeing that the current school system was clearly set up to put black children at a distinct educational disadvantage. After the ruling, there was a ton of infighting on the D.C. Board of Ed, with opinions on the ruling being very split. Euphemia was deposed as president, but she remained on the board for another year before retiring. She devoted the remainder of her years to causes having to do with education, civil rights, and equal opportunities for women and people of color. Racial discrimination was of paramount importance to her, especially since it had shadowed her throughout her life. She even wrote about the fact that prior to slavery in America, enslavers and the enslaved around the world were usually of the same race. Once there was a racial disparity between the two, like there was in America, it fostered this concept of inferiority based on race. Euphemia had faced discrimination in her life, not only for being black, but also sometimes for not being black enough. When she resigned from the Catholic Interracial Council, she cited an example where the council met to select representatives to meet with the archbishop, specifically asking for one, quote, noticeably colored person. This was a veiled jab at Euphemia, which she clearly understood. A student of hers with darker skin was chosen to meet with the archbishop, even though Euphemia was the only person of color on the steering committee. She wrote in her registration letter, quote, I am the only colored person on the steering committee of the council, but apparently I do not qualify as noticeably colored. During her life's work, Euphemia found a great bridge between mathematics and sciences and tolerance between the races, seeing mutual educational curiosity as the great unifier and equalizer of people. As she so beautifully stated, mathematics is an essential factor in cultural integration. In whatever corner of the world they may find themselves, Mathematicians, like all scientists, are bonded together by a universal desire to understand life. Cooperation is natural, it is easy, it is necessary in the all-out effort of science to establish truth. As has frequently been pointed out, science is international rather than national. The scientific exploration of the universe is the right of all men. Dr. Euphemia Haynes died on July 25, 1980, only two years after Harold died. The couple did not have any children. Her contributions and accomplishments were not fully recognized until 2001, when it was formally discovered and officially announced that she was the first African-American woman to obtain a PhD in math. Thank you so much for joining me for our birthday celebration of Dr. Euphemia Haynes. Please join me tomorrow, September 12th, when we celebrate the birth and life of Muriel Siebert, the first woman to have a seat on the New York Stock Exchange. See you then.